0: Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching.
1: Reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Please give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other young women came also, saying, Lord, Lord, please open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord.
0: Bob, we'll get there in a few minutes, but you're spot on. God doesn't turn anybody away. morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again. My name is Dan Cook. I'm one of the preachers one of the teachers, one of the pastors here at Genesis, and it is always a thrill for me to be here with you all, worshiping together. So thank you to everybody who's here with us in the chapel. It is awesome to see so many bright, smiling, shiny faces, and I'm not just talking about the reflection off my head. Uh, to those of you who are at home, uh, thank you, or watching online, wherever you're at, thank you for being a part of our congregation, and a part of this service as well. We appreciate your presence. We are on, this is the 24th Sunday after Pentecost in ordinary time. I know you, you look at me befuddled every time I say that statistic, but what that means is there's only two more Sundays left of ordinary time. Two more Sundays until we get to Advent. Two more Sundays where we spend time trying to figure out what it means to be an ordinary apprentice of Jesus. Two more Sundays that we'll spend seeking the wisdom that leads us to the kingdom. We heard that in our first scripture reading this morning. So let's just get this out of the way right off the top as we start to look at this gospel passage, at this parable of Jesus. This is weird. And you chuckle, but I mean, this is a strange passage. And I'm not so stubborn that I looked at it and went, ooh, I want the strange one. Let's preach on that. But I was curious because I looked at this and I had kind of the same reaction Bob had. What is going on here? And I wanted to know more. And hopefully you do too. And hopefully by the end of The sermon, you guys will have a little bit better idea. But I want to start with an all play. For those of you who are relatively new here to Genesis, we like to do all plays. We like to involve the voice of the chorus, not just the voice of the soloist. So let's just start with that simple fact. We are real about Scripture here at Genesis. What jumps out at you? What is the weirdest thing you see in this passage? What bugs you? What troubles you? What is the strangest thing you've seen? And for those of you who are at home, you can type in the chat function and Dave will shout it out to me. But otherwise, if you're here, just go ahead and lay it on me. Shout it out. What's what it? What's bugging you? Why is the bridegroom late? The bridegroom late? Great. Yes. Why? Yes. That's a problem. Who else? Scarcity. scarcity. There's a scarcity mindset here. Yep. 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 What else? Why so late? so we'll say that again? Why is the vendor open so late? Who goes and buys oil at midnight? What the heck is going on there? <laughs> Katie nailed it. And why do we call them the dealers? Why do we call them, well, dealers, that's a whole other situation, yeah. Yeah, As a, there's, a cultural, there's a cultural disconnect there. What else? Is this a ritual that I not familiar with nowadays? Is this a known thing that people do? Is this a known thing that people do? Is this just a cultural difference? Is that what's going on here? Well noticed, Nate. Hey. Why can't they open the door? Yeah, that's a great point. Why doesn't he know them? Why doesn't he say it again? Know them. Why doesn't he know them? Yep. If, if you're going to get ready to get married, do you care it's five or ten? Like, I'm, well, why is it ten bridesmaids? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's a great question. Anybody wonder where the bride is in all this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a whole story about a wedding feast and the bride never gets mentioned. What's, what's that about? Say that again. Why do they each have a lamp? Why, do they each have a lamp? Yeah. Yeah. Why can't they walk together and share the lamps? Why can't they just share the oil? Very good question. John?
1: It bugs me that this verse never used to bug me.
0: <laughs> For those of you at home, John says it bugs him that this verse never used to bug him. Yeah. John was perfectly happy being the wise one, and everybody else was the foolish one. And now all of a sudden, he's questioning. I to know what else is going on in verse nine? Because right? What else is going on in verse nine? Oh, yes, yes. Those are all wonderful questions. Well, I'm not going to answer all of them this morning. <laughs> We're not, I'm not going to be up here for 45 minutes. But you, you, you get the point. This is strange. This is, there's a lot of questions that come out of this, right? A lot of things that bug us. A lot of things that make us wonder what exactly is going on here in this piece of Scripture. And Nate sort of hinted around that a lot of times when you have these kind of oddities in biblical Scripture, it comes down to just cultural context, right? I mean, they did weddings in first century Judea differently than we're used to doing weddings here now in our time. Right? So that accounts for some of it, but not all of it. Most of the time when Jesus is preaching, when he's teaching in parables, he's taking some sort of situation that would be familiar to the audience he's speaking to, and he's acclimatizing them to that, and then here comes the twist, or here comes the teaching, or here comes the thing that they're going to be uncomfortable with. But he starts them someplace familiar and comfortable, and then gets them to where he's trying to go. I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think here he has a point, a very specific point he's trying to make, and he's sort of reverse-engineering the story to get to that point, leaving out all kinds of details, all these questions that we have, because he's just trying to get to a specific point. This is sort of the parable where the tail wags the dog a little bit, if you can think of it that way. So you really have to focus on the context when it comes to something like this. We talk all the time here at Genesis, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary. I love that we do that. There are congregations all over the world looking at this passage going, Huh? Right along with us this morning. And I love that. I love that connectivity in the body of Christ. But the lectionary does have limitations. One of the limitations is it tempts you to just focus on a passage without knowing what's going on around it. And sometimes you can get away with that. Sometimes passages are fairly self-contained, and that's fine. But most often, including today, you really kind of got to know what's going on around this particular passage to then understand the passage itself. Pastor Ali mentioned a couple of weeks ago in her sermon, that we've reached this point in Matthew's Gospel where we're post-Palm Sunday, right? We are headed towards the end of Jesus' life, the end of His earthly ministry. And so the teachings that He's doing right now are with that in mind. He knows His time is limited. He knows that He needs to teach everything that He can so that His followers can sustain, can persevere once He's gone. So we, in chapter 24 of Matthew, and chapter 25, we have these teachings, not even so much about his death, but it's these teachings about what it's going to look like when he comes again. The assurance that he will come again, and the teachings about what that may look like as he does. Which naturally leads the apostles to ask the question, okay, when? And we, many of us, have spent the last 2,000 years trying to answer that question, okay, when? When? even though in chapter 24, Jesus takes a pass and won't answer that question. We've spent a tremendous amount of time trying to answer a question that Jesus told us not to answer. It's one of the remarkable parts of our faith. Now, I want to step aside for a second, because I think anytime we talk about Jesus' second coming or we talk about the end times or stuff like that, that can create some tension, that can create some anxiety in folks. And I want to be aware of that, and I want to name that. Because the truth is, especially of course, in our current context when there's a big war going on over in the Middle East, there, that triggers a lot of people. That starts the rapture folks up and gets them all kinds of excitable. Probably isn't the greatest word, but you don't understand what I'm saying. So I want to be aware of that and I want to name that and I want to say that if you have that reaction, if you have, you're feeling tension when you read this, if you're feeling bothered when you read this. If that is welling something up inside of you, that's okay. And if it's to the point that you kind of need to tune out a little bit, that's fine. If you're not having that reaction, that's okay, too. But I'd ask that those of us that maybe aren't having that that reaction understand and remember that things like chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew have been used and abused over the years to create and instill Fear in people. They've been used and they've been abused, along with plenty of other scripture passages, to create this sense of fear of imminent destruction, this fear of being left behind, this fear of not doing enough for our loved ones to make sure they don't get left behind. There was an entire series of books based solely on that and instilling that fear. And that fear then is used, generally, to separate people from their money, like buying a whole series of books or in some other fashion. And even the folks that are not trying to make a dime off of it but are strictly focused on the theology of it sometimes want to hang on to that theology of fear as that sort of motivation. One of the commentaries that I looked at as I was preparing for this, this message, the guy wrote, pastor needs to... Hold the tension between the judgment and the fear of God's judgment and the the grace of God. To hold that tension in people. Puke. (laughs) Never mind that the entire back half of chapter 24 of Matthew's gospel is Jesus saying, don't try to figure out when this is going to happen. Only God knows. Don't waste your time doing that. Just live as though it's going to happen any minute now. Live your life that way. You're going to be just fine. And for some reason, all of these folks ignore that part of it. Take the first half of 24 and this chunk of 25, and here's this whole theology, be afraid. So for those of you that feel that way, for those of you that have that tension, that have that anxiety, as somebody with some level of spiritual authority, I want to stand up and I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you've been burdened with that. That teaching is hurtful and it is twisted and you should not be burdened with it. When you come to church to have your soul fed and to feel God's loving embrace, you do not deserve to be made to feel afraid. You deserve to feel God's love and grace and mercy and passion for you. Here at Genesis... We follow a God whose very nature, whose very essence, who at the very core is love. Not love and, love. Period. Paragraph. That's it. If I ever have to stand up here and teach about a God that uses fear to motivate people to follow Him, the God that breathed life into us, the God that created us, the God that delights in our successes and the God that mourns with our failures, if that God still needs to use fear to get us to do what that God thinks we should do, I'm out. I'm out. I'm just not going to do that. Which doesn't mean, look, there is very real imagery in the Bible of wrath and anger and violence that gets associated with God. I'm not denying that and I'm not going to ignore it either. I'm also not going to ask y'all to do the mental gymnastics that it takes to try and reconcile that with a God whose very nature is love. I'm not going to twist scripture around and try to make that fit all together and put a bright smiley face on imagery that's just horrific and violent. I won't do that. Here at Genesis, we believe in the God that inspired John to write that perfect love casts out all fear. We believe in the God that inspired Paul to say that love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. We believe in a God that loves us in such a radical, unexpected, self-sacrificial way that she inspires us to do good. She encourages us to do good. She doesn't make us afraid and manipulate us into doing what she wants. It's not how God works. And so it is with that love and that encouragement, not that fear and manipulation, that love and that encouragement, that's what we need as we approach this passage. Somebody say amen. amen. Because as odd as this text looks, and it does look odd, think about how many questions we just had about it. As odd as this text looks, it really comes down to one singular theme, and that's preparation, that's being ready. And what does that look like? Because remember, we're coming right after the point where Jesus has said in the end of 24, don't try to figure out when this is coming. Just live as though it could happen any second. You'll be just fine. And then he tells this story about what that could look like. And after this parable comes the parable of the talents, which is another story about what that could look like. When you break down this story, really the only difference between the bridesmaids that are considered wise and those that are considered foolish that the wise ones brought with them some extra oil. That's the only difference. If you look your way through it, right, all of the bridesmaids brought their lamps with them. All of their brides, all the bridesmaids fell asleep waiting on the groom. Think back to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus asked his disciples to stay awake while he goes and prays. And they keep falling asleep on it. That's, that's not the distinction here because everybody falls asleep here. All of them got up and trimmed their lamps when they heard that the, group, the, the bridegroom was coming. The only distinction is that the ones that are designated as wise were prepared, had brought this extra oil with them, were, were in a situation where they were ready for a long wait if that was necessary. And that's important because you have to remember that Jesus' followers, the people that he's talking to in this parable thought that His second coming was imminent, that He was going to come back, back any minute now, any time, in their lifetime. And you also have to remember that the Gospel of Matthew is actually written down in the late first century, so 70s, 80s, 90s, AD. So a lot of those folks that followed Jesus around that were expecting His arrival in their time, their second coming in their lifetimes, are now getting towards the very ends of their lives. And they're thinking, I mean, they didn't have watches, but you know, any time now, Jesus, where, where are you? So it would be natural for the gospel writer to sit down and include a teaching that they recall from Jesus, Uh, include a teaching that says, don't try to figure out when, be prepared as though any minute it could come, but it could be a while. That's who the gospel writer is speaking to specifically, and 2,000 years later, that gospel writer is speaking to us. And this is where that distinction between a God of fear and a God of love becomes so critically important. Because if we have to live every day as though Jesus could show up any minute, and when he shows up, well, he's going to judge the unrighteous and he's going to send them to eternal torment. I mean, if we have to live in that kind of... I mean, that would produce anxiety in anybody. That's not sustainable. We can't live every day under that kind of fear. I can't. We're driving bad but if we believe in a God of love, if we believe in a God who is love, then that kind of preparation isn't something you do outside of your day-to-day. That isn't something you do when you see, oh, big war in the Middle East, better get ready, Jesus is coming It's something that has changed the entire orientation of your life already. You are already living in a direction that is oriented towards others. That's the preparation. That's what makes you ready. That's the kind of person we're trying to be. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now, in all of my rejection of a fear-based motivation, you might ask about verses 11 and 12. Let's take a look at those. Those are the ones I suspect bothered Bob the most. Verse 11, later the other young women, this would be the foolish bridesmaids, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I do not know you. Isn't that saying, get this right or else? Isn't that fear-based motivation? Isn't that what's going on here? There's an Episcopal priest by the name of Robert Farrar and I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. Apologize if I am. But he wrote about this specific issue. And here's what he said. He's referring to Jesus. He says, he does not say, I never called you. He does not say, I never loved you. He does not say, I never drew you to myself. He only says, I never knew you. And he means because you never really got to know me. It isn't about do this or else. It's about if your goal is to follow me and you're not already on this path, if you're not already pointed towards serving other people, then you have to ask yourself, who are you actually trying to serve? And does that actually fit on this path? Does that actually open the door to this feast? Reverend Dr. Amy Moiso, she puts it in a way that is better than anything I could come up with. She says that preparation is actually an orientation to the world that looks for Jesus in the stranger and is ready to respond to the neighbor in need. She goes on to say, the preparation means living a full life of humble service to others, of mercy and compassion, of peacemaking and justice. That's what it means to be prepared. That's what gets you in the door. The truth is, Genesis, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And anybody that tries to tell you that they have an idea, again, is probably trying to sell you a series of books. We don't know. Man, I hope it's soon. There's so much chaos in the world right now. Maranatha, please come. But being ready for that return is not about living in fear that we're going to get caught with our hand in the cookie jar because mom and dad came home earlier than we suspected. That's not what it is. Being prepared for Christ's return means leaning on and leaning into God's love to orient our lives towards seeing to the needs of God of others, and as you all know, we have a ton of ways that we do that right here at Genesis in this community, right? Partnering with Prism and Food Shelf and donating stuff to them. Packing meals with Pastor Kara at at every meal. The backpack drives, giving away our Christmas collection. All of these things that we do here oriented towards serving other people, but it's not just what we do as a community. Plenty of you are involved with other charitable work. Plenty of you are out there giving blood or giving plasma or doing all kinds of things to help people. Anything that you do that is oriented towards someone else, anything that you do down to the very smallest random act of kindness, anything that is oriented towards the other and not towards yourself, that genesis, that is preparation. That is being ready for Jesus to come again. May He come soon. Wisdom as we heard in our first scripture passage, helps lead us to the kingdom. And part of wisdom is preparation. Preparation for the unexpected. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, and this is a very inconvenient truth for an Enneagram 5 to say, it doesn't mean trying to anticipate every single outcome and be ready for every single outcome, <laughs> though I've gotten pretty close.
1: <laughs>
0: it's not what it means. Being prepared means finding ourselves on an other-oriented path that allows us to be ready to help meet the needs of people, the very basic needs of people around us as those needs arrive. That's what being prepared is about. That's what I believe Jesus is driving at in this parable. It's not about who's out and who's in. It's about what gets you through the door. What following Jesus really looks like. If you're on that path if you're, on, if you're oriented in that direction, if you're doing random acts of kindness, if you're doing the things that Jesus calls us all to do, if we know Jesus, we're doing those things, we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to go. It's not about intellectual ascent. It's about how your life is oriented. That's what I think God wants us to hear in the parable of the
1: tens of bridesmaids. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women. love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion creating opportunities
0: for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation we follow the revised common lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us
1: no matter what life throws our way our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of jesus who are learning to love god ourselves and others wholeheartedly if you have any questions or would like to connect with us
0: please visit genesiscov.org
1: Thank mm-hmm. you.